Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and not joining me today is my colleague, my frenemy, my neighbor, my compatriot, Mr. Mark Daly. And that's because this is a very special and unique episode. And I'm going to tease it a little bit to get started. But as you all probably know, if you've been listening to the show, if you've been paying attention to Formula One news and social media over the past couple of weeks and months, Formula One has announced in collaboration with the FIA, a new power unit regulation set that's to go into effect in 2026. Now, if you're like me, hearing people talk about internal combustion engines and turbochargers and MGUHs and MGUKs can be a little bit overwhelming. So today, my good friend, Friend, my good friend Sharbel Saloum, all the way from Lebanon, is going to be joining me to help us walk through some of the basics. Consider this power unit 101. A little bit of background on Sharbel. Sharbel is known on social media as F1 Techie, at F1 Techie. You can find him on all the popular social media platforms, especially Twitter. Sharbel has a master's degree in physics and electronics and a master's of engineering in electronics and systems, and he's working towards becoming an aeronautical engineer. He has been absolutely a valuable, invaluable resource for me over the past few weeks and months, and we've developed a really great relationship. And Sharble, I'm incredibly excited to finally get you on the show to talk about something that you're incredibly passionate about, and I'm completely baffled by. My friend, welcome to the program. Hi, Mark. How are you? Thank you. Thank you very much for having me in your Awesome podcast. I appreciate that. How are you doing today? How are things over in Lebanon? Good, good. Uh, I'm good, but the situation here is not so, so good. But we're coping. And uh, it's 7 a.m. here right now. I was excited all night. I was preparing a lot and couldn't sleep just like a little kid. <laughs> to, to Like if he's going to the beach tomorrow, next day, so he doesn't sleep. So I was the same. <laughs> I was really the same. <laughs> I have plenty of uh, papers in front of me. I'm going to talk about everything. So That's yeah. awesome. And for everyone listening at home, uh, Sharbel's joining us, like I said, because we really want to dissect the 2026 Formula One engine regulations. But we also know that I think oftentimes we throw around a lot of terminology without really helping people understand it. Before we get started, Sharbel, the question that we ask almost everybody that joins the show, and it's a really good icebreaker, is how did you get into Formula One? When did you get Formula One into your blood, into your DNA? Well, Mark, it was back in the 1990. It was the first year. I was six years old. And just just like most of the of F1 fans, someone introduced uh, introduced F1 to them, and that one was my father. and. Uh, just as I told you, I was a little kid. I was very happy to have something in common to do with your father at that age. And especially it was very, uh, you can't forget these moments when especially waking up at 3 a.m. to watch uh, the sessions of Australia, Japan, because of the time difference. So waking up at 3 a.m., hey, Shabba, do you want to watch your phone? Yeah, 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 shoot that. Don't tell your mom. <laughs> so that was uh, the start of it back in the 90s. <laughs> back in the 1990 and it was non-stop till today i maybe maybe missed one race 
one race from 1990 till today. It's also really interesting, my friend, that, of course, when you became a fan of Formula One, we obviously had a race in Japan and we had races throughout Western Europe. And of course, at that point, we would have had a race in Canada, but there would have been no races in your region. And, you know, jump forward 20, 25 years, we've now got races in Bahrain and Qatar and Abu Dhabi and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Could you ever have imagined a world where we would have not one, but four races in, in your region of the world? Yeah, true. It was. It is very, very uh, good to have these uh, races right now. Uh, but uh, back in the 1996, uh, we had plans to have the first, not the first, but the first in the Middle East uh, area uh, street race in Lebanon and Beirut. So we had plans and everything. But as you know, it, it wow. was yeah, uh, Rafik Hariri started it. Uh, our prime minister and uh, because you know here the situation it's not stable too much we have a lot of problems uh, so it never happened unfortunately but of course we are happy with having in the middle east bahrain uh, qatar saudi arabia and uae so these are amazing circuits they are competing with great circuits in the calendar like spa like 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 a lot of circuits so we are really happy to have these here my friend you are also a part of a new media organization that started recently called mina grand prix middle east and north africa grand prix which i believe strives to become an arabic first news source and news outlet for all things formula one and i think that's super exciting but i think what it also reflects is unbeknownst, I think, to a lot of people in North America and to people in Europe that maybe don't travel or have friends in that region of the world, that Formula One is huge. And you were talking before we even got started about the fact that you do Facebook live sessions where you might have five, six, seven thousand people in attendance from the Arab world listening to you talk about Formula One. So Mina Grand Prix is going to introduce F1 in a decent way to Middle East area and North Africa. In Europe, we have Sky Sports, and in America, North America, we have ESPN. So they are a very big media source for F1 there. And here in the Middle East, we don't have that uh, privilege to have a good media source. So Mina Grampi is going to introduce F1 into just starting from 101, the basics until the most advanced and every race we try we have a lot of plans we try to to be on the ground in each circuit uh, inter interviewing people interviewing drivers and uh, team principals so it's a big project hopefully hopefully we're gonna keep the momentum we have uh, we now as i told you we are starting from scratch we are building the website. We are doing the articles. We have, Reem is going to push us to the limit with the videos, making videos, contents, uh, ideas, preparing for the uh, website launch. And hopefully in uh, 2023, we'll be live. We'll be on and in each track, hopefully. Rima being the founder of Mina Grand Prix, along with, of course, wonderful folks like you. So let's let's get started here. So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the why behind the new power unit, because I think we've talked about that quite a bit on the show. But I do want to read a statement here from FIA President Mohammed Ben Salehim. He says, and this was the this the quote uh, from him when they introduced the new power unit regulations, and I quote, the FIA continues to push forward on innovation and sustainability across our entire motorsport portfolio. The 2026 Formula One power unit regulations are the most high profile example of that mission. The introduction of advanced power unit technology along with synthetic sustainable fuels aligns with our objective of delivering benefits for road car users and meeting our objective of net zero carbon by 2030. Formula One is currently enjoying immense growth and we are confident these regulations will build on the excitement of our 2022 changes have introduced or produced. I want to thank all of the FIA management and technical staff involved in this process for their diligence and commitment in working together with all of our Formula One stakeholders to deliver this. I also want to thank our WMSC members for their consistency consideration and approval of these regulations. So that's the quote from FIA President Mohammed bin Salehim. And the FIA, of course, is increasingly responsible for all of the technical aspects of the cars and the power units. Now, 
I'll touch on one more thing before we get started. The four key pillars of the 2026 Formula One power unit regulations are as follows. These were the pillars that were the backbone and the infrastructure that were intended to drive the solution. The first is this, the 2026 power unit is designed to maintain the spectacle of Formula One. The 2026 power unit will have similar performance to the current designs, utilizing high power, high revving V6 internal combustion engines and avoiding excessive performance differentiation to allow for improved raceability. So basically what they're saying is they're still gonna be V6s and they're still gonna have equivalent levels of power and noise. Environmental sustainability. The 2026 power unit will include an increase in the deployment of electrical power to up to 50% and utilize a 100% sustainable fuel. So today, there's a little bit of sustainability in the fuel and there's electrification in the power unit, but certainly not 50%. Financial sustainability. Financial regulations regarding the power units will reduce the overall cost for competitors whilst retaining the cutting-edge technological showcase that is the core of F1. And what that implies is there'll probably be more standardization of parts and more standard suppliers. Finally, and we're already seeing this come into effect, attractive to new power unit manufacturers. The regulations are intended to make it possible and attractive for newcomers to join the sport at a competitive level. And like I said, we saw this today. Audi has announced that they will be joining the sport as a power unit producer for 2026, which means that these new regulations are already working. So my friend, let's get back to the basics. We hear the term ICE or internal combustion engine all the time. What does that practically mean? What is an internal combustion engine? Okay, an internal combustion engine is the terminology of having combustion or fuel mixture inside a unit, which is the engine. So this is where internal combustion engine comes from. And we have it, we use it every day in our cars. We, we, wear the, the, we watch uh, sports uh, competing with it, any sports, uh, Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, everything. So we have... A four-stroke engine in F1, meaning uh, we have four states. We're going to talk about them. So for, it's a four-stroke engine, and it's uh, reprocating pistons going forwards and backwards in a straight line, compressing and explode, exploding the, the fuel mixture. So first of all, the piston withdraws backwards and sucks the air and fuel mixture into the combustion chamber, which is called a piston. So when the rich fuel uh, slash air mixture is inside this combustion chamber, then the piston will compress these, uh, this mixture. By compressing, it means you will get a bigger bang, a bigger boom. So uh, with a bigger boom, I call Jeremy Clarkson more power. <laughs> and we'll talk about ratios. We'll talk about ratios also. So the second phase is the compression. And the third phase is the bang, the explosion. When you ex- when let me pause you there. So when we talk about the internal combustion engine, that is something that we would have in every traditional road car today. Exactly. As long as it's not an electric car, yeah, every yeah. car has an internal combustion engine, and it basically then it takes a combination or a mixture of fuel and air to create an explosion within the engine itself, which is what creates the power that ultimately spins the drivetrain and turns the wheel. So that internal combustion engine that we have in a Formula One car, a 1.6 liter V6. And of course, what's in a Formula One car is going to be significantly more advanced and efficient, but ultimately it's not fundamentally different in practice to what we have in a road car today. Exactly. Exactly. You're right. In any sport and everything, uh, even if uh, diesel and engine cars, they have the same principle, but with some difference. We're not going to talk about it. But uh, F1, yeah, 1.6 liter V6 with high efficiency. They, uh, I believe they reach 50% efficiency with Mercedes engine back in 2016. What does it mean? So when you have an explosion, not all the energy is transformed into action, into something useful to do with a lot of a lot of this explosion goes into heat. So heat is just a loss. So Mercedes got 50% of uh, efficiency back in 2016. And uh, I think it's the only engine that could reach this uh, this percentage. And plus it went to the road cars uh, with their uh, A-series 
they got the uh, engine of the year for 2016, 17, and 18 because they used the F1 uh, technology and they took it back into the road car. That's the amazing part of F1 where any ingenuity over there, they can be, it could be taken and put in our disposal, in our hands, in our cars. So let me just add to that quickly, because I think you just made a great point. In Formula One, we always hear this term of thermal efficiency. And I think you describe it perfectly, which is, you know, when you take that mixture of air and fuel and you create that explosion, the engine can't effectively capture all of that. There's a lot of wasted energy. And in a Formula One car, the thermal efficiency is about 50%. They're actually able to turn about 50% of that 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 explosion, that energy into power. Now, for context, in a road car, in a road legal car, on average, it's probably about 20 to 25%. And at the very high end, it's about 35%. So Formula One cars are hugely more fuel efficient because they're wasting less fuel in that explosion, but they're also yeah, thermally fuel. far yeah. more efficient. So they're getting far more power out of far less fuel. Exactly, exactly. Uh, don't think that uh, the road cars can get a higher uh, higher percentage but keep this in mind a higher percentage mean the lifespan of the engine will decrease so an f1 uh, engine you don't have that problem because after four races you're gonna throw this engine apart five races and you're not gonna use it so but my car i'm gonna use it for 10 years probably seven years so you can't imagine changing an engine every uh, 500 kilometers for thousand kilometers so (laughs) you know that's uh, that's most yeah that's that's a great point right like four formula one races is about 1200 kilometers so 300 kilometers a race or so so 1200 kilometers for four races i expect the engine in my road car it better last 150 <laughs> to 200,000 kilometers like that's just my expectations so you're right they can afford to push formula one engines because they scrap them after four races where my road car it's got to last me 10 to 15 years that's a really great point let's continue with the engine so the second phase is the compression and the third phase is the explosion when the ignition happens and uh, with the spark plug we're gonna talk in details about it so we're gonna have an explosion inside the piston with the explosion the 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 sorry an explosion inside the cylinder the piston will withdraw backwards continuing its motion and the fourth phase which is blowing this uh, gas-filled CO2 and burnt fuel out of the exhaust. So this, these are the four states, if we can name them, of the four cylinders or four-stroke in, in engine, internal combustion engine. And it repeats, and it repeats. Just imagine a Formula One car can do this 50 times per second. You got 50 explosions per second at the 12,000 RPM. Meaning, a revolution, RPM, is a revolution per minute. So an engine, F1 engine, it goes from five, 6,000 up to, it can goes to, we're going to talk also about it, to 14, let's say 14,000 RPM. So that's per minute. If we take an average of 12,000 RPM, it means 200 revolution per second. And each revolution has four cycles. So it means we have 50 explosions per second. That would compare to a road car, which probably revs in the three, it would probably idle around 1,000 RPM, probably cruise at two to 3,000 RPM, probably peak at 5,000 RPM. And what you're saying is a Formula One car, it ranges up to 14,000 RPM. Exactly, exactly. Back then, when we had the v8 and v10 we could reach the 19,000 rpm it is theoretically this engine we have right here right now in the f1 1.6 liter it is capable to do the 19,000 rpms but teams have decided to limit it to 15,000 and we don't see 15,000 and the telemetry we see we see like uh, uh, 13,000 plus that uh, that range but in the 2026 uh, regs it is unlimited so as much as high as you can you can go you can withdraw energy from it from any rpm you want at 17,000 at 18,000 whatever but remember also about the lifespan of the engine having a higher revs means your degradation internally, the, the, the engine is degrading, degrading, so it is a, a balance. 
So I know the engineers can do a great job, but let's wait and see. Who's going to go 18,000? Who's going to go 16? Maybe they're going to limit their engine at 15,000. So we don't know. Just to kind of back that up a bit too, because we're talking about RPM and things like that. When we're talking about RPM, if you're sitting in your street car and you put your car in neutral, if it's a manual manual transmission, if you put your foot on the throttle, the farther you press the throttle, the higher your RPMs go, which means that the engine is spinning faster and faster and faster. True. In the world of Formula One, what is the benefit of having a high revving engine? Like, what what is the benefit, the practical benefit to having a high revving engine? You know, we can we have a peak power, a peak power for horsepower. Okay, so we have horsepower and torque. At a specific RPM, we can reach this peak power because of the regulations having a bigger bore in the pistons so it is 80 millimeters mandatory 80 millimeters so we have kind of large piston but the travel of this piston is shorter so they tend to go with a shorter travel meaning high rpm because at low rpm it's not efficient an f1 car at low rpm is not efficient that's why they go to a higher rpm they try to reach the highest ever they can get to withdraw the most horsepower, the most torque out of it. Sharble, I think that's a really great starting point for talking about the internal combustion being that, hey, it's conventional technology. Of course, in a Formula One car, it's built in a way that from a practical and economic perspective could never translate into a road car. But I think that's a pretty good starting point that the internal combustion engine is a traditional technology that's been around for many, many decades or a century. And it's all about creating power with explosions by mixing fuel and air. My friend, let's take a quick break. We've got to pay some of these proverbial bills. But when we get back, I want to talk about one of my favorite technologies, which is not something that's new, but something that's very cool. And that's the turbocharger. Stay with us. We'll be back after a quick break. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton, and joining me today, a very special guest all the way from Lebanon, representing his online persona, F1 Techie, and of course, also representing the new organization, Nina Grand Prix, my friend, Sharbel Saloum. Sharbel, welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about internal combustion engines, which is something that's conventional and standard and fitted in almost every single road car, but also Formula One cars have today, and they will have in 2026 and beyond, a turbocharger. Now, turbochargers are common in road cars. Not every car has them, but you'll often see more economical cars with smaller, lower displacement four-cylinder engines pairing a turbocharger because it's a really great way to produce some incremental power. Talk about what a turbocharger is and how it enhances what an internal combustion engine already does. Well, Mark, turbocharger for me is one of the greatest parts in the car, F1 road car anything so it's a forced induction device so it means 
it is it uses the exhaust gases to get boost but why it is very important this device is very important because first of all it is using uh, energy from waste exhaust gases are waste they are not used anywhere in the car so this turbocharger uses these exhaust gases the energy with the flow getting out of the ICE to spool the turbine so the turbine is divided into two parts the first part the first part is the uh, turbo and the second part is uh, compressor so it is turbo compressor uh, so it's for us turbo okay so we use just turbo but is it is turbo compressor the first part is the turbo energized and spooled by the exhaust gases linked by a shaft to the compressor where the compressor compresses the air into the inlet into the ICE and more power drawing more air into the piston more power more air means more bigger explosion bigger explosion means more power that's why we see a smaller displacement in engines like 1.6 liters but has the performance of a 2.8 of a 3.0 so it is more efficient more powerful but with some drawbacks we're going to talk about them uh, the first drawback which is which is uh, the pressure that the turbocharger puts on the engine you know because we have two bars pressure three four we can go up to four bars pressure you are compressing the air into this uh, and uh, into this ICE. So let me let me pause you because I just want to make sure that all of our listeners are, are are staying with us here. So we go back to that internal combustion engine. It's all about creating that explosion by mixing air and mixing fuel. fuel. And what the turbo then does is the turbo is a mechanism that effectively compresses and pushes even more air into exactly. that internal combustion engine. And then presumably, and I'm sure you're going to get there, now that you're pushing more air, you're using this device to basically compress air and squeeze it into the engine. You're also going to, at the same time, increase the rate of fuel so you get that even explosion. So now we're still talking about this relatively small 1.6 liter six-cylinder engine, but you're using a turbocharger to accelerate the rate of explosions that are happening. So that turbocharger is taking wasted exhaust gases that are coming out of the internal combustion engine. They're using those to spin the turbine, which compresses air and shoves it into the engine. And then to compensate, the engine's also injecting even more fuel to create those controlled explosions. Exactly. Did, did I get exactly. that right? Is that a pretty good exactly. kind of explanation for engine 101? Exactly true. And uh, you should keep in mind, a turbocharger works also on ratios. So we have a, a compression ratio and the exhaust ratio. So at the turbo part, if we say you have in the exhaust a pressure of 40 or 25 PSI, and in the compression area you have 25 PSI, so this turbo is called one, one, one on one. Okay, so the pressure, the, the compression is equal to the exhaust pressure, exhaust pressure. So if the engineer can get one to two ratio, this would be amazing. It means at 25 PSI in the exhaust area, you can get 50 PSI in the compression uh, inlet. So this is one to two. Uh, we can't, it's not ideal to have a higher compression on the uh, exhaust part. If you have a high compression or higher PSI, high pressure in the exhaust, it means the airflow is not getting out fast. Okay, from the the the, the uh, gases are not getting out fast from the manifold. So, to get the air faster, it means you get you have to get a bigger exhaust. That's why sports cars have bigger exhaust than our normal cars. So, to get the air faster out of the engine, so the piston has less time to uh push the air out out, to the, out out of the ICE it means it can revs even faster so the difference would be within the revs how fast you can rev from low to high rpm and plus uh, the back pressure it's called back pressure it's not ideal for an internal combustion engine as much as the 
uh, inlet pressure inside done by the turbo into the inlet air inlet into the IC. Let me talk a little bit about my experience with the the road cars that I've owned. I I at one point had a Mini Cooper uh, Mini Cooper S, which had a supercharger. And I love the sound of the supercharger when you got on that throttle. I had a Range Rover Sport that had a supercharger. Uh, currently, we have, and this isn't an ad. I promise it's not an ad, Audi, though, if you want to hook up, let me know. We have a, a 2019 <laughs> VW Tiguan. It has a two-liter four-cylinder engine with a turbocharger. But the car that is probably most special to me that I've ever owned is I owned a Subaru Impreza WRX STI, which had a two-and-a-half-liter four-cylinder boxer engine but nice. it had a huge turbo on it. And the reason I mentioned this is because if something that's going to be probably talked about a lot leading up to 2026, and that is the concept of turbo lag. And when I talk about turbo lag, I talk about a situation where I'm in the car and I get on the throttle. So you know what? I'm at that red light. I'm in a race. I'm in a corner, which is probably the better Formula One reference point, but I'm in a corner and I get on the throttle and the internal combustion engine itself is going to generate some power, but there's this concept of turbo lag and the turbo doesn't immediately deliver that wallop of power. It takes a little bit of time for that turbo to spool up, start compressing that air and injecting it into the engine. And that's something that's foreign to the current Formula One cars for a reason that we maybe don't get into today, that the current device that is the MGUH helps eliminate turbo lag. But that MGUH, which we'll talk about, is going to go away in 2026. So we're going to hear about this concept of turbo lag. Maybe talk a little bit about what turbo lag is and how it's experienced in a in a Formula One car or will be experienced in a Formula One car. First of all, let me tell you about my disappointment about the <laughs> lag of MGUH in, in, the, in the 2026 lag. First of all, MGUH is for me, the most, uh, the smartest, whatever you can call it, device ever invented in a form. That's how it's important for me. First of all, MGH, it is written wrong. Most of people don't understand uh, what does MGH. Uh, motor generator unit heat. So how do you generate heat, energy from heat? As we said before, heat it is represented by the exhaust gases getting out of the engine. So we are using these uh, exhaust gases. So because it is linked to a turbo, so its name is MGUH. So it is basically a generator, a motor, just like the toys uh, with, uh, with uh, the kids they play with. So it is linked to the shaft of the uh, turbo and it will help the turbo to spool from zero to 125,000 RPM. With turbo, you know we have turbo lag. So what does turbo lag means? An engine to work normally, okay, it will draw air and throw the gases out of the ICE. But when the turbo needs to create pressure, it is very reliant on the exhaust energy or gases of, of the exhaust gases. We need a threshold, if we can call it, so the turbo would work properly. Meaning, let's, let's talk about uh, our road cars. Lower than 3,000 RPM, the turbo will not work, okay? Depending on the turbo size. Now we're going to talk about it. So less than 3,000, the energy, the, the, the uh, exhaust gases can't spool the turbo. You need to reach a minimum 3,000 so the turbo would start spooling and creating pressure. That's the pressure we used to create more power. So we have a threshold. A threshold is the RPM. And these in our engines. Same for the F1. They need specific RPM so the turbo would start. But with the MGUH, okay, I'm gonna tell you, you know, you're not gonna wait for the exhaust gases. I'm gonna spin you. So the ICE or the uh, electronics, sorry, the electronics in the car would command this MGUH to spin. And with spinning, it will induce the turbo to spin. Even the car is at four or 5,000 F1 car at 4,000 RPM. So at the, the, the power is, is there. The driver puts his foot on the throttle. The turbo is there. It is ready. It has pressure immediately. You don't have to wait for the turbo or to wake up and do, create pressure. No, the MGH forces the turbo to create pressure. Another area from the, of the MGH, we can use it as a generator. So imagine going down the straight. Now we have a, spa, a long straight. The engine is revving the highest as it can. The turbo is revving as high as it can. 
Now, the turbo doesn't need an MGH. I am spinning without you. So the revs of the uh, turbo can, trans can be used by inducing the MGH to produce energy because it is spinning and it's not commanding the turbo to spin. Now the MGH is going to use the uh, 120,000 RPM, whatever, to fill the battery, to use it other places. So it is unlimited resources, unlimited uh, regeneration. Unfortunately, unfortunately, in 2026, we're going to miss this device. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a turbo lag, but, but the turbo lag can be somehow the teams will cope with it. Because these engines are going to rev higher, as we said, it is unlimited RPM. The RPM is unlimited in 2026. So I think they can go with different gear ratios, meaning to leave the engine at a higher RPM. With a higher RPM, you can spool the turbo. So, okay, you're going to have a little bit of turbo lag, but mm, they're going to manage it. And uh, the most important thing is when you get, you use, you, you drive a Subaru. So when the turbo kicks in, sometimes you get surprised. Sometimes you lift your foot. Oh no, I don't want that much of power out of the engine. You lift your foot out the, uh, of the accelerator. So we're going to see this happening in the beginning of the season with the drivers. Uh, when the turbo kicks in, maybe we're going to see like uh, oversteering, uh, wheel spins, some, some kind of uh, throttle from the uh, drivers. Uh, let's see how the engineers will cope with it, will uh, find a way around it. If we talk about turbo lag in a conventional road car today, when you get on the throttle, the turbo is not going to be spinning because there wasn't previously any exhaust gas coming to spin those turbines. Like you need to be on the throttle yeah. for a few moments and get that engine to a speed where there's actually exhaust gas. So that's called turbo lag. So it takes a minute for that turbo to spin up and deliver that power. In in the case of Formula One today, and I agree, like the MGUH, which is one of the two hybrid devices in the vehicle, that one of the two devices that generates electrical energy, the MGUH then serves a couple of purposes. It can generate electrical energy, which it can put into the battery store, but possibly more importantly, it's a constant source of energy for the turbo. So the turbo is itself always spinning, which means that the minute the driver gets on the throttle, the turbo is already at 100%. So drivers have this reliable linear source of power that they know wherever I am on the track at any moment, when I get on the power, I'm going to get this consistent power delivery. And what you touched on is something that's going to be a source of great conversation for the next couple of years is that it in theory will be harder exactly. for a Formula One driver to drive a car in 2026 because that source of power delivery will no longer be consistent. And you're right. There were times in my car, because I used to track the Subaru all the time, where I would be in a corner and I would Especially be, I would corner, have to yeah. predict when that surge of power was going to come. And sometimes you didn't predict it correctly. Yes, exactly, exactly. And when we've been talking about this kind of in the community at large, that's where people are talking about Formula One drivers are going to struggle to adapt. And they will. They're the best drivers on the planet, but they're going to have to adapt to this concept of turbo lag. My friend, I quickly want to take our listeners down down memory lane a little bit. So we talk about the engine formula, but I want to take everyone back through modern times. In the 1980s, turbocharging was all the rage in Formula One. Everybody loved it. But by 1989, Formula One and the FI had banned turbocharging. And from 1989 to 1994, the general regulations were naturally aspirated. So when you say forced induction, we're talking about an engine that has either a supercharger or a turbocharger. And a supercharger is similar, it compresses air. Um, from 1989 to 1994, they were all naturally aspirated, meaning no form of forced induction. And really the rule was you can have as many cylinders as you want. You just can't have more than three and a half liters of displacement. From, two, from 1995 to 2005, the, the form formula was you could have eight, 10, or 12, but you couldn't have more than three cylinders of displacement. And then from 2006 to 2013, this was the final era of uh, 
engines before the current turbo hybrid era from 2006 to 2013. They were V8s, 90 degree V8s with 2.4 liters of displacement. Now, quietly in 2009 and from 2011 to 2013, teams began tinkering with this concept of hybrid powertrains. And they had a technology called KERS, which was Kinetic Energy Recovery System. So they started tinkering with this idea of recovering energy from the braking system so they could put it into either a battery store or they could put it into um, a more mechanical storage device. And then, of course, in 2014, we had the revolutionary 1.6 liter V6 dual turbo hybrids that we have today. And in 2026, they're going to refine, they're going to modify, and they're going to change that technology. My friend, of those eras that I just mentioned, so the 3.5s, the turbochargers of the 80s, what was your favorite era of Formula One engines? I am I am waiting to ask, for you to ask me this question because for me, the 2014 till today, this engine is the most advanced, the most powerful. People are going to say to me, hey, man, what are you talking about? What about the V8, the screaming, the uh, all-loving, fuel-chugging uh, engine? Yeah, it is nice. It is it is, it is amazing to watch it, to, to listen to it, but I'm, I look at the output of this engine. The 2014 till 20, today, these, this engine is awesome. From a small amount of fuel, you get, whoa, an ultimate amount of power. We, we reach 1,000 plus horsepower. Unfortunately, unfortunately, 2026, with the lack of MGH, they are saying they're going to reach the 1,000 plus HP, but I'm telling you, you know, because it's not about the peak. Listen to me. It's not about the peak energy of the horsepower. It's about the average around the lap. Okay. So with the MGUH, we're going to get a higher average horsepower around one lap. So in 2026, 20, okay, we have nine megajoules of regeneration. Okay. You can use it as force, meaning the minimum uh, value of battery and the maximum value of battery used per lap can be the difference can be more than four uh, megajoules. So I can recharge my battery for megajoules. I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna recharge it again for megajoules, and I'm gonna use it. I'm still I I remain with one megajoule. I can use it or I can top it on my battery. So the next lap, if I don't use this megajoule, the new level which is X plus one can be either the maximum level or the minimum level depends on their strategy on the uh, engine mode on the driver so if i'm gonna push this lap i'm gonna start with the this level it's gonna be the highest so i'm gonna start with the deployment energy i'm gonna use this sorry i'm gonna use this energy so i'm gonna use four recharge it use four and top it with plus one i can use it or leave it for next push lap so the average is gonna be for me, with my calculations per lap, the average horsepower is going to be less than our current uh, engines, unfortunately. So bad news, maybe. And maybe we are all currently living in the golden age of Formula One power unit yeah. regulations. Yeah. And I would agree as well. And I'll be very honest. I really was disinterested with the V8 era of Formula One. And, you know, there's this perception, I think, that's pretty pronounced in the U.S. more than most countries. And most countries have had really fierce environmental protections and standards for cars for decades, Asia and Europe, and to a lesser extent, Canada. And I think most countries for many decades had come to the conclusion that you can get really great power out of super small packages, like low displacement four-cylinder engines, you pair some turbocharging. But in the the U.S., exactly. U.S. historically, there's been this perception, and it's fading because I think the American consumer is being better educated than ever before, but there's always this perception that you need big cylinders and big displacement to generate power, and the thermal efficiency of these big cylinder, big displacement engines in American cars were terrible, so you would be you know, consuming a ton of fuel, but generating less power than these really efficient four-cylinder engines in Europe and Asia were, were producing. Now, 
I agree that the current engine regulations are, are my favorite. I love how technical and how efficient and what a marvel these engines are, but they're going to change. But before we talk about the 2026 power units, I exactly. want you to talk a little bit about how the internal combustion engine, because I think we've done a pretty good job of describing the internal combustion gener engine generates power by an explosion, fuel and power, or fuel and, and air. And then you can increase the amount of air with a turbocharger, and then you increase fuel to create bigger explosions. We talk about the MGUH can create electrical energy and put it in the battery. And the MGUK, which we really haven't talked about, generates electrical energy by capturing wasted energy from the braking process. And it can also put that into the battery. How does a Formula One car tap into the power in the battery to create more elect to create more mechanical power? Like that's something I've always struggled with. Like once you have that power in the battery, how do you get that to the wheel? Very easy. Efficiency. How efficient is your system? You're going to get more power. Because the regulations are so restrictive, especially 2026. They are so restrictive. I feel like I'm reading a spec engine for everyone. So MGUK, it is, uh, right now, it is 120 uh, kilowatts. So with the MGUH, if we can say. So 120 kilowatts, let's say 120, 120 kilowatts. And it's going to go up to 350 kilowatts in 2026. So you have a limited amount of energy to use per lap. Because we have a limited energy, so it all depends on how efficient your MGUK is. It is linked directly to the crankshaft, to the engine. So with the gearing, it's fixed. So the output, theoretically, it's fixed. It should be constant. The, the, the output the power is constant. But how efficient, how fast, how fast your, your, uh, your MGUK will rev from its lowest point and torque his power and send his, its torque to, 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 to the internal combustion engine, that's where um, the difference is between manufacturer, between Honda, Ferrari, Mercedes, whatever. So um, MGUK, it's just like MGUH, it's a motor generator unit kinetic because it uses the kinetic energy of the IC, internal combustion engine, and brakes. They say from the braking. No, it's not linked directly to the brakes, but it is used when you want to brake because the engine is revving and now you want, you want to brake. Okay, my engine is revving, so let's use these revs I don't need, which I don't need. So the, the, the MGUK coupled with the engine creates a resistive torque, resistive torque to, to the engine. So it's going to drive the engine down, drive the car down, the speed of the car down. Why? Regenerating the energy, putting back uh, electricity down the battery. So it will help your brakes with braking. That's why we get smaller brake calipers with uh, brake discs. And uh, when we get to the 2026, the kilowatts are going to triple. So we're going to have 300, about 350 kilowatts of, of energy from this uh, MGUK. And it is limited, unfortunately, to 500 newton meter of torque. So it is very restrictive. I'm, I'm, I'm really disappointed. So we are limited in 500 newton meter in torque. And because you have a bigger, uh, let's say, uh, resist, resistive, resistive com element, it's going to create braking. It's going to help more the braking. So maybe in the 2026, the brake calipers will get even smaller in the back. But we have to think about something which when you reach your uh, delta VOC or maximum voltage allowed in your battery within this lab, okay, when you need to break, your MGUK is not allowed to store energy. So it can't regenerate, it can't create this resistive torque because when you create resistive torque, the power will, will have to go somewhere. So it's not allowed to go to the battery. How can I create a resistive torque without creating power? I don't know what's going to happen inside. Probably they're going to create a device with resistors redirecting this to, to help the brakes because without the MGUK, the rear brakes were going to lit on fire. So probably they're going to redirect the power of the MGUK somewhere else, not in the battery or the energy store, and uh, to keep working, to keep uh, doing its work, what's supposed to do. Because first of all, when you hit the brake, there is a lot of 
things happening. People just watch it on F1. But I like to go into the, the finest details. The, the... Sharbo, let's take a quick break, pay some bills, and pick up the conversation around brake, brake regeneration, and, and of course, brake bias in just a minute. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back to the podcast. It's always up to speed with Formula One. Once again, I'm being joined by Charbel Saloon, straight out of Lebanon, representing, of course, his online persona at F1 Techie on Twitter and other social media platforms. And, of course, working and doing some great work for the new Middle East and North Africa Grand Prix media organization, which aspires to cover Formula One in a really, really thorough and analytical way for the Arab-speaking world. Sharbal, before the break, you were talking about the MGUK, kinetic energy regeneration, brake bias, and some other really great topics. So I'm going to kick it right back over to you, my friend. So Mark, when let's continue the idea about when the driver is braking. Uh, okay, the, the, the brake, uh, the, the brakes, the front brakes, because they, are, uh, they have more aerodynamic pressure on, on the front tire, they can do more work. So while you are braking, or the driver is braking, so the MGUK would couple with the braking system. It would it should be seamless. The driver should not feel anything changes. But while you are braking and slow it down, so the system, the computer, would change the bias from forward to backward. How when how much the MGUK should do some work. So this is the BMIG. So transferring the bias forward to backward without changing the bias because you're not allowed to change it while braking. You can change it before cornering. You can put it 50% front 50 back or 55 front 45 back. But while braking, you can change this value. That's where the MGUK comes in. Because you are coupling with the engine, we are creating a resistive torque, which is braking, if we can say. So this bias would change backward. We don't want a front lockup, front wheel lockup. That's uh, the second job of MGUK or third, because first is a generator, it delivers power. The second is uh, regenerate energy. And the third to help you with braking. And in 2026, we might see, as I said, the smaller brake calipers or smaller brake discs, but in case of MGUK failure, it's catastrophic. In case of battery full, we don't know what's gonna, how the MGUK is gonna break the system help with breaking. The, so in a shell, this is MGUK in 101, let's say, engineering 101. So let's transition then to 2026. So I think I think we've done a pretty good job of talking about the current power unit. And the reason, by the way, uh, for those listening at home, the reason we see power unit rather than engine is that within the power unit, there is an engine. It's that internal combustion engine that we talk about. But power unit is the reference to all of these components working together, the exactly. battery store, the MGUH, the MGUK, uh, the turbocharger, and the internal combustion engine all kind of come together as a package. Now, in 2026, things are going to change. 
change. And I'm just reading here from F1.com. In the new power units from 2026 onwards, no new fossil fuel carbon will be burned. They're going to generate three times the electrical power, which, like you said, is awfully ambitious. The engines are going to generate over 1,000 horsepower while using less fuel. There's going to be better safety because of the way they're going to package the electrical components, and there's going to be lower costs. I think that's the point that I want to talk a little bit about before we kind of talk about some of the difference is we talked earlier in the podcast about the fact that the new power unit regulations that are going to come into force in 2026 are designed to be more attractive to new manufacturers. And we celebrate the fact that Audi's coming in. Well, they're going to be more attractive in a couple of ways. One is that they're going to be less complicated. So the MGUH, as you indicated, is a hugely, hugely amazing technological marvel, but also costs hundreds of millions of dollars to develop. And it's not something that trickles down into road cars. And I did a podcast recently with Tim Haraney. We talked about the fact that what these OEMs, what these manufacturers want to do in Formula One is develop technologies that are road relevant. So, hey, we're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars developing this technology, but then we're going to take it and put it into our road cars. The MGUH was unlikely to ever be something that's going to trickle down into road cars. But one of the things that we are going to see as part of this transition in 2026 is more standard supply components. So you talked about the fact that the 2026 power units are going to be closer to a spec engine. And that's something that I think neither you nor I nor anybody should want. And a spec engine is effectively, hey, every single team, you use the exact same engine that you buy from a standard supplier, or you have to build your own power unit, but you have to follow these really, really, really strict specifications, meaning that at the end of the day, they're all going to be the same. In 2026, we're not going to have spec power units, but they are going to be more affordable to develop because there's going to be more standard supply components. So more of the components within the power unit are going to be standard, meaning that everyone has to design and build them to the exact same specification, or they have to buy them from the same supplier, which to me is a big miss because one of the great things about Formula One is, is innovation. But with innovation comes huge risk. And if I'm Audi and I'm coming into Formula One and I have to develop every single component myself, well, there's a risk that I get it wrong and we're unsuccessful. So in the sense of making it attractive manufacturers, you make it attractive by making it more affordable, but reducing some of that risk as well. My friend, what are some of the big differences then? We talked about the fact that there's gonna be synthetic fuels, fully synthetic fuels. What else is gonna be different from our current engine regulations to 2026? 2026, as you said, it's just luring more engine manufacturers like Audi and Porsche, and it worked. As we see, yesterday it was officially launched or officially Audi is entering the sports waiting for Porsche. Now, the, big, the biggest difference is the lack of MGH, which is, uh, as you said, a highly demanding uh, development that needs a lot of development. And Audi and Porsche are, don't want to get into a sport where they are miles behind everyone else, where where they developed it to, to the maximum, like Mercedes, especially Mercedes. So the lack of, of MGH. Second, we have uh, <clears throat> the, the power split. Today it's 75%, 25% on the ERS, but in 2026 it's going to be 50-50. So around 530 horsepower directly. What you're saying there is today, virtually all of the power is coming from that internal combustion engine and the turbocharger. But that in 2026, the formula is going to be no it needs to be 50-50, that 50% of the power that that power unit generates has to come from electrical sources. Exactly, exactly. So today it's about 850 brake horsepower as internal combustion engine with the turbocharger. But in 2026, it's going to be 530. It's not limited. It's just the engine power because the lack of the MGH. So the turbo, when kicks in, okay, we're going to have a horsepower, but mainly more uh, horsepower is going to be drawn back energy store through the MGUK and to the wheels, if we can say. So it's going to be 530 horsepower from the engine and 470 brake horsepower from the MGUK. Also, the uh, as we know, the fuel flow today, it's 100 kilograms per hour, meaning the FIA is limiting 
the uh, teams not to use more than a certain amount, which is 100 grams per hour. In the future, in 2026 and so on, it's going to be 70 kilograms per hour. But listen, it's, they are not just restricting the flow. They are the flow as an amount of volume in liters or in kilograms. They are restricting the energy flow out of the fuel. Meaning, because this fuel is being pressurized by pumps and going into the injector inside the cylinder, this fluid has energy built in because it's moving. We can, the teams are restricted to have 3,000 megajoule per hour of energy flow from the fuel. Do, do you understand how much they are restricting around the, the, the power unit? We have 3,000 megajoule per hour plus the 70 kilograms per hour of fuel. Also, as you know, we are using, and people who are listening, the E10 fuel nowadays, which is 10% ethanol and 90% fossil fuel. But in 2026, it's gonna be 100% sustainable fuel. Okay, we don't know. We don't know about the degree, the degree of this fuel, but it's gonna be sustainable, uh, meaning how much it's gonna affect, or how it's, or how it's gonna affect the explosion. Keep in mind, more air, bigger explosion. Higher volatile fuel, meaning bigger explosion. And the MGUK, it's gonna go up from 120 kilowatts, which is around 160 brake horsepower into 300 kilowatts 150 kilowatts which goes up to 470 brake horsepower which is around 290 percent increase in uh, in power but but it is limited to 500 newton meter in torque this this is a bummer <laughs> because we can get more torque out of it so it is limited to 100, 500 newton meter. They are going more security phase, if we can call it. I don't know how can a uh, secure phase. How can we call it? The MGUK is going to be housed inside a cell with the energy store, with computer, CE computer of the power unit, and the CUK power unit. Uh, CUK, sorry. So it means the electronics of which controls the MGUK and the electronics that controls the car. They are. They must be housed inside a safety cell. Plus, only 0.25 liters of fuel is allowed to be outside the fuel cell, meaning a less amount of fuel in case of leaks, accidents, to 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 uh, to do a cat catastrophic explosion like uh, Romain Grosjean's ex uh, accident. So only 0.25 liters of fuel is allowed outside the fuel cell itself. The MGUH, un unfortunately, it's going to be banned. We are still limited to a V6 1.6 liters, but the weight of this uh, power unit of this engine is going from 150 kilograms into to 130 kilograms, which makes which is, makes it harder for the engineers to make a good, reliable engine with less mass. If we can say less mass, that's a quick wrap up about uh, about the power unit of uh, 2026. We're gonna see. Hopefully, hopefully there are some notes. It could be changed. They said they have written in the uh, regs. We can uh, read it. They said upon uh, voting. Some regs can be changed, especially on the turbo size, because in 2026, the turbo is not allowed to be split like the Mercedes is using. Honda is using the same uh, split idea, but much shorter. Now, in 2026, we have maximum shaft of 17 uh, centimeters length, which is basically a normal turbo. So this is a shell, a quick note. Uh, the difference between 2026 engines and uh, our current engines. Charbol, that is that is fantastic. So I think then to recap, obviously we're seeing a pretty pretty transformational change in the way that the power units generate power and function. And there's some really good things here. Obviously, you did a really great job of describing how they're going to package the electronics to make it safer. Uh, you talk about the fact that we are going to limit it or sort of limit the amount of fuel that can be outside of the fuel cell, which of course, which would, would be hugely effective in the event of a catastrophic tra uh, crash, limiting the amount of fuel that could be um, 
fuel for an explosion. I, I think obviously the use of synthetic fuels or drop-in sustainable fuels is, is great for the sport. I think Ramco is currently developing those and working on those in, in the lab. I think to your point, I still feel it's a real, real disappointment that the MGUH is going. I think it's also pretty shocky that Mercedes and Ferrari um, and the other teams were willing to do that considering that they'd invested hundreds of millions of dollars developing that technology. But clearly it, it's a reflection of how important it is to the teams and the sport to get more manufacturers on board. And they were willing to make that compromise by ditching a piece of technology that they've spent the better part of a decade refining and, and perfecting, which is which is a bit of a shame. My friend, I think what I want to do is wrap this up for now. But what I'd love to do is invite you back on and pick this up as part of a series. So let's call this uh, Formula One Power Unit 101 part one or volume one, how would you feel about coming on again soon? And we can pick up this conversation with a part two. And what I'd also love to be able to do is get some listener questions. So get some of our listeners to send in questions that they have about the existing power unit and the future power unit and get you to answer them. How how does that sound? Well, that's amazing. I'm really honored. Thank you, Mark, for having me. And uh, also, I'm loving the idea of having like uh, school engineers Formula One slash 101 <laughs> part one, part two, volume one, volume two, and maybe in the future we can go even deeper in the because we can go so deep inside the power unit. It's something amazing. We can talk about the small details, uh, how it changes the use of this uh, power unit, withdrawing energy from it horsepower so it's amazing we can talk talk and uh, non-stop my friend for anybody that wants to follow you on social media where can they track you down i know you're on twitter are you anywhere else basically i'm on twitter i'm trying to understand instagram and tiktok <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not doing a great job over there I'm telling my wife, hey, help me with Instagram because she's like, she loves Instagram. She understands it more than me. I'm trying to do it to live there. And uh, in Instagram, I am at F1 underscore techie because unfortunately F1 techie was taken. I don't know, but it's suspended. The, the account is suspended. I don't know how. TikTok also is F1 techie. But mainly, mainly I am super active on Twitter. Also, I have a Facebook page of one techie. If I can say a YouTube channel, but I'm not posting there because it's hectic to have to take care of all of these channels and uh, social media accounts. So now I'm 90% on Twitter. My friend, thank you so much once again for coming on the podcast. For everybody listening at home, hopefully hopefully you learned a couple of things today with myself and Sharble as we dove into the world of Formula One power units. Like I said, we uh, we promise to pick this up and resume in a future session in the near future, hopefully getting some listener questions in as well. If you're interested, you can follow us, of course, on Twitter. We are at F one pod And if you like what you hear, if you enjoy the work that we've been doing, we would be honored if you could give us a rating on Spotify or jump onto Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review there. Charbel, thanks again, my friend. I cannot wait to get you on again. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode. Thanks, everyone. We'll speak to you again soon. Bye. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smash like some in my songs gon' break through like a running back.